0: Yeah, so we are this evening in Numbers chapter 19. So please turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 19. And, um, you know, in Numbers chapter 19, again, I remind you that um, basically we had um, some people that had rebelled within the congregation and the Lord dealt with them. And um, then basically, what the Lord did was, he, was that he vindicated Aaron, chapter 17. He gave us the duties of the priests and the Levites. He reestablished or, you know, he basically he, he brought across uh, the very thing that God had done with the Levites to begin with and with Aaron and, and his sons. Um, tonight, we're going, going to talk about uh, Aaron's third son, Eliezer. He's going to be a part of our uh, chapter, our study this evening. And he's basically coming through, the Lord is bringing them through to a place to where the laws of the Lord are being reestablished. And keep in mind that 14,700 uh, 14, had died just a couple chapters ago. And so uh, now we're going to talk about defilement of the um, from people who are uh, dead, who die, and uh, people come in contact with them. And so there's a way in which... The people, the congregation, not only the priests, but also the common people, um, to uh, come through a ceremony of purification and be made right ceremonially before the Lord and be welcomed back into fellowship. So that's what we're taking a look at uh, this evening. And that's fellowship both within the congregation and also ultimately with the Lord. So let's pray and then we'll get into this chapter. Father, we are certainly thankful, Lord, that you always desire to have fellowship with us. In fact, the plan of salvation all points to that very uh, amazing truth of grace. And uh, and so, Lord, uh, this evening as we study Numbers chapter 19, I ask, Father, that you would open up our understanding, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would uh, give us understanding, reveal things that perhaps we, if we've gone through this chapter before, this book, uh, that we hadn't seen before. Things that, Lord, uh, could could really um, be used to glorify you in our lives. Um, that we would see how it is that this is a shadow of the substance that we uh, find fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How it is that these things of old are there for us and for our benefits to teach us and to, and to really bless us. Father, they're, they're there for, for a reason, as it says in Hebrews. And so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start out. Numbers chapter 19, verse 1. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect in which there is no blemish and on which a yoke has never come. So, we're going to stop there. This is just a basically the the start of what the Lord has commanded Moses and Aaron to pass along again to the children of Israel, and they're commanded to pass along that the congregation was to bring them a red heifer. Now, a red heifer is rare. A red heifer without blemish is rare. A red heifer that is without blemish and hasn't been bred. Because remember, these animals were there as livestock um, for the people, either to be worked, to give milk, to produce meat, milk, all of these things. And so all of these conditions that the Lord had placed on Moses and Aaron to communicate to the congregation to bring to them was like, wow, okay, so a red heifer that hasn't been bred, hasn't been used to work the fields. All of these things would be kind of rare, but this is what the Lord had called for. Not having worked a field, not used for milk, not for breeding, not for, for beef, no defect, no blemish, red it's rare again it was because these animals were used as livestock for their well-being for as as work so they were rare and they were of great value now again i remind you that this came directly after what is considered to be the second cycle of rebellion for the children of israel we've seen them go through these cycles right it's like they're they're doing fine and as we've seen not for a long period of time they do fine for a while, then they fall into rebellion in one way, shape, or form, and uh, and then they're, they're dealt with. So this is considered to be uh, after, in conclusion of their second cycle of rebellion. And these are of the Levites under Korah and the Reubenites. What we have before us this evening is the ceremonial process of water purification rites, and... This is for the priests, as I said earlier. It's not only for the priests, but it's also for the whole congregation, the Israelites, um, that make contact with the dead. Now, disease. And this is what we need to be reminded of um, sometimes, often, that disease, death, and decay are all physical and visual representations of the spiritual consequence of sin. It's like it's placed before us. This is, you know, when um, the Lord spoke to um Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter two he told him of all the trees you may partake of, you may eat, but not of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right this one you can't you can't touch right he says, because in the day that you do you shall die and um so we know that, oh and by the way, who who sinned first? Who sinned first? Eve did. We looked at Adam. Why is it that Adam is like he's the one that takes the rap for it? You guys know? yeah, so so Eve, she sinned out of basically she was deceived, out of deception. but the problem with Adam is. He sinned fully knowing, with his eyes wide open. So Adam was held responsible. By the way, his husband and wife, guess who's held ultimately, ultimately responsible? You will be after you get married. <laughs> the, the husband is held responsible for that marriage. They're going to get married in a week and a half. So, um, Anyway, once um, sin entered into humanity, um, then death came on the scene as well. So what we have is this physical death, decay, um, disease, it all is this physical and visual representation of what happens spiritually um, as a consequence of sin. Now let's continue on, verse three, and you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be taken outside the camp and slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger. And sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its skin, its flesh, and its blood with its dung shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns the heifer shall wash his clothes in water. And bathe his body in water and shall be unclean until evening. And a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the water for impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And this shall be a perpetual statute. For the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. So the application is not only for the Israelites, but also for anyone who is among them, who is not considered an Israelite, um, who perhaps is uh, with them as a sojourner, temporarily working with them. Um, You know, hey, you agree to be within the congregation. This applies to you as well. All right. All right. So. This is basically the sacrificial burning of the sin offering uh, of what we just read in the first couple of verses of the red heifer that is without blemish or defect, um, hasn't had a yoke placed on, uh, on this heifer, and then um, just is, is pure, is red. Now, what we have before us, so though, basically is a customary sin offering, uh, with the exception, a couple exceptions. That is... Um, they didn't drain the blood completely. Um, in fact, they only took some of the blood. Eleazar was uh, commanded to take some of the blood and sprinkle it seven times uh, in the front of the tab- tabernacle or tent of meeting. Um, but they were called to burn the whole animal. Also, of course, something that's obvious that Um, the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron to pass along to the Israelites to bring is the fact that the other exception was that this was to be a red heifer. Uh, It was, this was not, of course, required previously. Uh, Previously, we just saw that it had to be a male unblemished and without defect. So don't give, you know, second best to the Lord. Don't give the leftovers. It was the very best. Well, there's something more to it now. Now, The Lord required that the blood be part of the ashes that were burned. Um, The whole animal was to be burned uh, along with the blood, and this was to be used for the water of purification. Eliezer. Um, It's interesting that um, the name Eliezer um, has a meaning, and if you look at the meaning of the names of the Bible, um, it it just really is pretty cool how it all is part of God's work and what he's doing. But the name means God is helper. God is helper. And without God's help, there is no way for us, by his grace, to be purified, to be made clean. We can't do it in and of of ourselves. And we see even in this, we are to subject ourselves and submit to and surrender to, but we ourselves cannot, being unclean, Bring purification upon our own lives. This is like definitely a shadow of what we find to be true and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is what, what's beautiful about the Old Testament. is You can go through it and it excites me as we go through the Old Testament and we see these pictures all over the place of the Lord and God's plan of salvation all over. And this is no different. This is no different. Um, So, Eliezer, um, he was required again to take um, some of the blood of the red heifer and sprinkle uh, some of it, uh, some of the blood with his finger uh, toward the front of the tent of the meeting. And again, that was seven times. Um, And then seven days, they were to go through the purification process, which we'll come to that in a few moments. Now, there was another priest... So there's one. Number two, there's another priest that was to burn the red heifer in the sight of Eleazar, in its entirety. So it wasn't Eleazar that did that. It was another priest that was called to come alongside and actually do the burning of the, of the, um, uh, of the heifer, of the sacrifice uh, upon the altar. This priest, this other priest was also to take, while it was uh, burning, being sacrificed, to take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet yarn and throw it into the fire along with the rest of the, um, the heifer and the wood that was burning already. So, cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet yarn. And by the way, this would all become part of the ashes that were used to purify the water as part of the ceremonial cleansing of those who had touched. A dead body, or been in the presence of. Now, this priest. There was also a requirement uh, to bathe uh, themselves and to wash their clothes, and they would remain unclean until that evening. Another man. So we have Eleazar, the priest, and then we have a third man that that is to be clean, ceremonially ceremonially clean was to gather the ashes in that clean place outside the camp and, and, uh, or actually take them from where they, they were and then take them outside the camp and put them in a clean place. So uh, that's what he was designated uh, to do. That, that's what his job was. Now these ashes were kept for the ceremonial cleansing rite for the people for a sin offering to be mixed with the water that was used to sprinkle on the people. And we'll learn about when that was to be applied in a few moments. Unclean. What does that mean exactly? Well, it defines basically a personal condition that prohibited a person from fellowship in the tabernacle. Otherwise, they approached God. If they approached God in this this condition, they would defile the tabernacle, that which God has deemed to be holy. And so they, they couldn't approach God in this manner. If they were deemed unclean uh, for certain specific reasons, then they could not approach and be in fellowship, not only with the Lord, but also within the congregation. Now, what we need to also understand is that this is not the same as, uh, as sin. Um, but, but it would be if, even in this condition, the person would insist on doing these things that the Lord prohibited for them to do. As if they were clean, as if they were right before the Lord. It's like the person who isn't restored insisting that they are, and then doing whatever they want, like within the church, and serving however they desire. It's a matter of honoring the Lord and true humility. Uh, Unfortunately, I've seen how it is that people have fallen into sin, blatant sin, and then they determine when they come back into the church and serve in what manner. And it's like, well, where's the humility? Where's the honoring of the Lord? Recognizing that which is holy, you have defiled, you know. And, and um, so there has to be this, um, this humility, this surrender that comes. And uh, basically walking out what the Lord has instructed for us to walk out. For the Israelites, this is what God had prescribed. This is what he had commanded. And so they were to follow it. Otherwise, if the priests would allow someone to circumvent these commands, then they would be in violation. They would be in sin. Allowing these people to come into the tabernacle and defile that which God has has, um, deemed as holy. So... One more thing. The cedarwood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn. It wasn't noted here, you know, that they had any significance. Sometimes as we read through, uh, we can't just like rush through it. Because the cedarwood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn have great significance. Um, First of all. These specific items were used, if we go back to Leviticus chapter 14, um, if you're writing notes, um, you can jot down Leviticus chapter 14. These were items that were used ceremonially in the cleansing of a leper. Uh, You remember that a leper um, had this skin disease that was like, it was basically they were living, but they were the living dead, and uh, they were decaying on the outside, and as they came into the presence of people they had to yell out unclean unclean you know and so that way they they didn't make contact um they were um uh, contained they were uh put in isolation so that way they they couldn't uh infect and and really spread any kind of disease among the people but these were all items that we have here Uh, The cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn, they were used in the cleansing of leper. A disease that, again, represents sin. A very visual decay on a living person. And a person who remains in sin is effectively a spiritually dead person. Uh, A person, as the Bible says, um, that doesn't come to a place of surrendering their lives to Christ and receiving God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, remains in their sin. It's not that... Um, you know they, they have to do anything that society would deem as bad or evil, a person uh, sins because they 're a sinner. Um, we, we are sinner we're prone to sin, and we have that because of the original sin um, that is through through Adam, the first Adam in the in the garden. so this was a visual representation of a spiritual truth. And all these items were used in the ceremonial cleansing of a leper. Um, Number two, cedar. Um, Cedar is known to be disease resistant, uh, also resistant to rot. Um, So it was very valuable. And um, so it had these properties. And it said that um, it may have been that even Jesus was crucified um, on a cross that was made out of cedar. So there's that. Resistant to disease and resistant to rot. And of great value. Hyssop was not only used for the cleansing ceremony of the leper, but also it was on hyssop that he was given some water, right? Or given to drink, right? And so he was... He was given that. So it was on hyssop. There's much more to hyssop also. There's medicinal properties to it. But that's of great significance. In fact, the psalmist, King David, he wrote this in Psalm 51.7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, knowing that hyssop was used as one element to cleanse a leper, what do you think David was implying there? What do you think he was confessing? It was that he was no better than the leper. And he needed for the Lord to purge him of that which brings death, disease, and decay. And he shall be made clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He knew that he had to surrender to the Lord and be washed by God's grace. When David wrote this, he was, in essence, confessing that he was a leper in his sin and could only be made clean by the Lord. The scarlet yarn. Well, scarlet, it's the color of blood. Scarlet yarn was used in the veil and the curtains of the tabernacle, as we've read through those items. It was also used in the garments of the high priest and in the covering of the table of showbread. Let's not forget Rahab. How it was that that when the spies went into Jericho and she took them in and she made them safe, right? And hid them. That one thing that they said is, "Hold this scarlet cord, make sure that you put it in the window that you sent us out through and leave it there. And everyone who is in your home, anyone outside... Uh, once we come and take over and defeat Jericho, anyone outside is free game. Everyone, everyone inside your home uh, with that. But that scarlet cord needs to be resting out of the window. And in plain sight, we will go ahead and basically pass over everyone inside. It reminds us, of course, of Exodus when uh, the night when all the firstborn of, of Egypt um, was, uh, was visited by the angel of death, right? And they were all killed. But the ones who were spared were those who had the blood of the lamb uh, basically in the doorway of the Israelites. And so we have scarlet. It's, uh, it has great value. Um, it's illustrative, illustrative of the, the blood of the Lord that was shed on our behalf, and, and, uh, and it covers us. For without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin. So we have that with scarlet. And these ashes served as substance. The substance that would be used for the water of purification for the congregation. And then let's let's move on to the ceremonial cleansing rites. Um, Beginning in verse 11, "...whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days." He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him." So, again, to touch a dead body was was not to sin, but they were considered to be ceremonially unclean. Um, basically, in a state of not, you cannot fellowship. You can't fellowship within the congregation. You can't fellowship um, definitely uh, before the Lord and worship Him. You can't come to the tabernacle and and present your offerings. And they were commanded to be cleansed by this water that was sprinkled with the ashes on the third and the seventh days. Uh, This condition, uh, right from the beginning, was a condition that was not to be ignored. They could not ignore this by any stretch of the imagination. They couldn't justify it, delay it. Um, Definitely with this situation, delayed obedience was disobedience, and it was taken very seriously seriously wasn't something that they, they could ignore. This cleansing was not an option. This was especially true for the priesthood. And since he would be in the position to possibly defile the actual tabernacle itself and all of its utensils. So, um, but let, let's see what, um, what perhaps we can see in the New Testament. So let's turn over to the Gospel of John. So hold your place there and then let's go over to John chapter 13. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 13. So, this was a time when uh, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and I wanted to read this with you. In John chapter 13, verse 4, we'll start there And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So, the Lord very clearly said to Peter, Listen, if, if you do not allow me to wash you, then you have no part with me. This is something that, as Christians, we need to understand. This is, again, this, this brings us to a place of, of, uh, of humility, of surrender before the Lord. It speaks to what we're reading in Numbers chapter 19. Because, as I said, you know, contact with, with the dead wasn't necessarily sin, but we knew that it was defilement. And if we were exposed to sin, if we lived in that day and we were an Israelite, then there was something that was required of us. we were to submit to and make sure that this this process took place, this washing the ceremonial washing before we could really have true fellowship with the Lord and true fellowship with other brothers and sisters. It was a requirement, and in a way, we can look at what we read there in, in John chapter thirteen and kind of get this visual. The disciples knew this very well what we 're going over in Numbers chapter 19 they knew this very well there is was this washing that the israelites had to submit to and here the disciples said hey listen a whole body cleansing you know you're 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 already clean but you pick up a little dust along the way and there needs to be a a washing of the feet on a regular basis And we need to allow someone else to do that. We ourselves cannot do that. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord and allow him to once again wash our feet. If you think about that, that's a a beautiful picture. The Lord does that on a daily basis as we submit to him. As we come to his word and allow him to wash us with the word. You know, as husbands, we are to do that with our wives. But the Lord desires to do that with each and every one of us. Are you getting the importance of reading the Bible on a, on a daily basis? It's important. You need to come before the Lord and allow Him to wash us with His Word. And so, the Lord said to Peter, otherwise you have no part with me. Do you not desire to be in the Word, to be washed, to be cleansed, to be cleaned before Him? Because there's this defilement that we pick up. And it does impact our fellowship with the Lord in a very real way. Now... <clears throat> These bodies, each and every one of yours, it it can be defiled. And in First Corinthians chapter six, the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he was explaining to them how it is that we can defile these bodies. And he was specifically speaking of sexual immorality. But these bodies, we can defile them. Um, these are each and every one of our our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is beyond what we can. Imagine. So the third person of the Trinity dwells within us. The answer is yes. That's what God said. That is a promise. He seals us for the day of redemption. And so the Apostle Paul was making it very clear that as we think about the tabernacle, as as the Lord tabernacled with the people of Israel in the in the days of the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, we know that as Jesus has come, he tabernacles within us. This is the place in which we have fellowship with the Lord. Talk about a personal God, a very intimate God. He is with us and he is in us. And he assures us, giving us promise that we will be with him for all of eternity, in all of his glory. And so the Apostle Paul, of course, is, is um, laying out in it and explaining, communicating to the Corinthians um, how serious this was. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So he was reminding them, hey, listen, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, in these bodies. So it's not to be taken flippantly. It's not insignificant because this is the very place where God tabernacles with us in with us here now. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he promises to indwell us at the moment that we surrender our lives to him. Now, to touch a dead person, just to go on to the next portion, it was required that you be cleansed on the third and seventh days, and then you would be considered clean and fit for fellowship. Right? Okay. So then we have, as some people know these to be standard operating procedures, for contact with a dead person. So these are basically God's commands. This is what we are to follow. So verse 14, let's continue. This is the law when someone dies in a tent... Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel that has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean seven days. For the unclean they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take Hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent and all on all the furnishings and on the persons who were there and on whoever touched the bone or the slain or the dead or the grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. Thus, on the seventh day, he shall cleanse him and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. And at evening he shall be clean. All right. So what's the situation? Someone dies, right? So a person dies. Uh, The duration of uncleanness, the Lord has established, it is seven full days. Uh, Who were the people who were deemed unclean? So you just follow the steps, right, all the way down. The, The people who were deemed to be unclean are all that came into the tent or were in it when the person died. We also have the additional situation that not only is this to be applied to the person who is within the tent, um, or you could say the home, but also outside, outside. that is to make contact with a dead person, a human bone, a dead person's grave. Um, That person would then be considered to be unclean as well. And all of these steps apply to them as well. So he gave us the remedy also, though. The unclean person... The household furnishings and the tent itself was unclean and it was to be sprinkled with the hyssop that is dipped in the water that contains the ashes. A clean person is to do this for the unclean person. The unclean, and this is where we go back to the fact that an unclean person cannot cleanse themselves. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to dip the hyssop in, in this water and yeah, yeah I'm going to put it on me and I'm clean, right? No. No can't do that you're unclean you're not capable of doing that it has to be a clean person doing this for the unclean person this is on the third and on the seventh days on the seventh day the unclean person is to wash his clothes and bathe in that evening he will be considered to be clean household vessels all open vessels They're not sealed, they're not closed, they were all deemed unclean and they were to be disposed of. They were to be, uh, either if it's pottery, uh, broken and disposed of outside of the camp. And so these were the standard procedures, the commandments that the Lord had given to be followed. And this basically, if you think about it, it's basic things that you would do to quarantine. That's really what it comes down to. It is this quarantine. It contained the disease and it um, stopped it from potentially spreading throughout the camp to everyone else. And so there was this, this process that they had to go through. The ceremonial cleansing was a shadow of the substance again found in Jesus. The ashes of the red heifer along with the water spoke of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Father commanded the sacrifice to be put into effect with the Spirit to bring about the cleansing of the defiled person that was unclean due to death. You remember when, when uh, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming to him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he identified him as the Messiah as he was coming. And what happened at the beginning of of the Lord's ministry is the Holy Spirit came upon him as a dove, right? And so it was at that point that he continued and he started his ministry for three years. And at the end of the three years, of course, he went to Calvary to the cross and died in our place. And so we see before us also how it was that the Father commanded. And, and the red heifer, the water, all of these things are representative of what we see in the work of God in his plan of salvation for, for us. And it's truly, truly beautiful. It's amazing. And then finally, uh, the last few verses here in verse 20. If the man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off From the midst of the assembly, since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord, because the water for impurity has not been thrown on him, he is unclean, and it shall be a statute forever for them. The one who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes, and the one who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. And whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Defilement. Uh, Defilement is something that the Lord obviously took very seriously. Um, He was telling the congregation through Moses and Aaron, this needs to be dealt with. This is not something that is to be taken lightly, to be ignored. And even the act itself is to be taken seriously because as we've learned through this, uncleanness does not take care of itself. Uh, and no matter how much time you allow it to pass, it, it, it doesn't diminish the fact and, um, that you have to deal with it. They had to deal with it. Otherwise, they would be defiled themselves and they had the potential of defiling other people if they came in contact with them and, and the tabernacle itself. So the unclean person must submit himself to someone who is clean to apply the sprinkling of the water with ashes with hyssop on the third and the seventh days. Um, the person who's defiled contaminates everything that they touch, as we read in these few verses. Everything that they touch. That's why containment is very important. Quarantine is very important during those seven days. Um, you can't go around touching everything. Otherwise, you're, you're contaminating. You're defiling everything that you touch. So it's important that they remain in quarantine until they have completed their time of cleansing. And then they bathe and they wash their clothes. And then that evening, they're considered clean. And even as we read there, we see how it is that the, uh, the person who is clean is not to actually dip their hand in the water. Only the hyssop, that's the only thing that can go into the water. Uh, Because dipping their hands into the water would be considered to be kind of not taking it seriously, being flippant about it. God had commanded a a specific way in which this was to be done. And if they did it any other way than what the Lord had commanded, then um, they would actually be considered unclean themselves. So they would have to bathe. They have to wash their clothes, and they would be unclean until that evening. So they were to take this seriously as well. Now, what we learn from this is that proximity to sin can be deadly. In fact, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals or ruins good morals. I know sometimes we think that we can come within proximity, or maybe even close to hang out with um, sin and still not be affected, impacted. And that's an absolute lie of the enemy. Bad company ruins good morals. God didn't have this for us to read if it weren't true. And yet sometimes we think that we can kind of bypass that <clears throat> and remain unaffected. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are not to be deceived. Don't be deceived. Bad co- company uh, ruins good morals. And then humility. Humility before Jesus is required daily. Uh, took me to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is, by the way, this commandment is for the disciples. It's not for the unbeliever. This commandment is for you and I. So you think back to uh, John when Jesus, we just read in fifteen, right, to where he was talking about, hey, the disciples, Peter, need to allow me to wash your feet. First John one nine speaks of this speaks to this. If if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the daily walks. This is the daily defilement. This is the very thing that we ourselves are to humbly surrender ourselves to for the Lord to cleanse us. Because remember, that uncleanness can be easily transmitted. We need to take care of ourselves by submitting to God in all humility and keep ourselves unspotted before Him. For that's what the, the Word tells us, too. What God commands us to walk out obediently. Be holy, for God is holy. The overall desire of God. What do you think the overall desire of God is through all of this? It's the, th- the thing that we had uh, commented on from the very beginning, and that is fellowship. Fellowship. God desired that, that we remain. In fellowship with him that we remain in fellowship with him today and that we remain in in fellowship with him tomorrow and the next day that we don't that we don't neglect getting into the word prayer and having that fellowship time with him allowing him to bring to the surface those things that we need to confess to him and allow him as we genuinely ask for forgiveness to To wipe those feet of ours. Of all that dirt. All that grime. Because don't think that we can't take that. And contaminate other people. We do. We're very prone to pick up this dust on our feet. And then take it in, in fellowship. And then we mess up other people. With all kinds of stuff that we haven't dealt with. Before the Lord. So be humble. Submit to the Lord and allow Him to do a work in your life, just as He desired for the Israelites to do on this day, we ought to do today. And lastly, and I'll leave you with this, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are certainly thankful, Lord, and for, forever grateful, Lord, that it wasn't this ceremonial cleansing that we had to continually do. For, for they, as they made contact with the dead, had to continue to do this over and over and over again. Literally and physically, Lord, they had to do this. And yet, Lord, for salvation, we come to believe once, confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and believing in our our hearts that God raised you, raised him from the dead. Identifying with the death, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that in him we are made new. We are no longer the walking dead but we are alive in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ by grace through faith in Him. And Lord, what you ask of us now is to simply come to you often daily and to allow you to cleanse us with your word, to meet with you and fellowship with you, that we would continue to be sanctified, refined and strengthened by your word that we would more closely resemble Jesus Christ and glorify you. And so, Father, thank you for redemption. Thank you for reconciling us by the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are forever grateful, and I pray that we would demonstrate that by the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.